and welcome to WISMED On Call, a podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin, except kind of today when we have a special guest. I'm your host, Mark Grappentine, Senior Vice President of Government Relations, and with me today is Gwen Gunther, who is the President of Wheeler Reports, which is a political news service. She's been covering the Wisconsin Capitol for more than 20 years, started at the Wheeler Report after completing her undergrad degree at UW-Stevens Point, recently completed a master's at Purdue University. Um, She has a bit of a health background, having worked as a volunteer EMT while working on a college internship in North Carolina, worked at St. Michael's Hospital in the emergency department, and on the Marquette County Ambulance for five years. Uh, Stopped serving there when her two daughters were small, and today when she's not covering capital activities, We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, <laughs> but Gwen, your dad, you know, it's the Wheeler Report, and your name's Gwen Gunther. It's like, well, how's, how's the Wheeler Report? Your dad, uh, if anyone out there goes out into the Capitol, and you're on the second floor, and you're in between the east and the south wings? Is that where it is? South and west. South and west wings. You see the Wheeler Press Room, and that's your dad, Dick Wheeler. Right. Um, who you've taken over since his passing. You took over his, his biz. Right. And you've certainly seen a lot <laughs> so far. Right. So um, my dad started the company in 1972, and um, I officially came online in 1995. Um, I did some book work for him while I was still in college, but um, I officially came to work for him in 1995. I started with the Brewer Stadium and um, I have been there ever since. And I have been, this is my fifth governor that we are going on right now. Oh Governor-elect Earl will be the fifth governor that I will have followed. Evers. Evers, sorry. Evers. <laughs> you started with Earl probably, right? <laughs> no, I started with Thompson. <laughs> oh, okay, well, there you go. Well, um, so when people hear about a news service, they think about like Associated Press or, or like, right. like Capital Newspapers or something like that. Your, your niche is, is different. And you know, as someone who is a subscriber to the Wheeler Report, um, it's much more on the operations of the building and what happens. And so, can you talk a little bit about about what your main coverage is? Right. So we, I'm heavy into the policy. We follow the bills. Um, I kind of liken what we do to keeping stats at a baseball game. So you need to know how many times somebody was up to bat. You need to know how many strikes there are. In the legislature, you need to know what bills were introduced, where the bills were sent to committee, who voted yes, who voted no, what the amendments were, how much the bill costs, if it's implemented, you know, what the vote is when it goes to the floor. All of those statistics about a bill are what we do. So I liken it to keeping stats at a baseball game. For those people who love stats, that's what I do. <laughs> well, and to keep going on that analogy, you know, back in the day, you'd go, you get your little pencil and your little scorecard, and you had your, your way of, of, you know, scoring a game. Right. Um, back in the day when your dad was doing this, yep. the way he disseminated that information was probably a little different than you do now. Right. Um, so when my dad started in 72, he actually bought the news service that was here before and um, turned it into his own. So he would go around all day and take notes on his notebook and pen. And I always teased him that it was, you know, a stone tablet and a hammer, but (laughs) it was a notebook and a pencil or a pen. And he would take all of his notes. And then at the end of the day, he would type up all of his notes. We had an office across the street that he would put um, his notes into an offset press. He would copy them all out. We had a tri-fold machine. We would put them in envelopes and close them. Each one of our subscribers had a metal plate for our postage machine. 
we would bind them all up by zip code and then my dad would stop at Milwaukee Street Post Office and drop them off on his way home from work and then the next day he would do it all again. So then, you know, eventually the fax machine came along, he would type up all of his notes, he would send them out by fax, we moved from fax to email. Um, my dad was the first reporter in the press room to have a computer. I remember being in middle school and teaching my dad how to set up his first computer and here's how you can actually edit it as you're going along and you know it just everything just seems to move forward. Man. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when fantasy football started. Right? You have to go through the box scores and the paper and figure <laughs> out who won and now you get stuff emailed. So so for those of us that follow the Capitol on a daily basis, uh, we've, we have found the Wheeler Report, report to be pretty interesting. Uh, very, very important for getting all that information. You have you have new things, and this is not even a sales job because probably no one listening to this is going to subscribe <laughs> to the Wheeler Report, but you can go to the website. Correct. So we started the website in the early 2000s, or no, maybe 1997, wow. eight, um, as a place for the public to go to get press releases and newspaper stories. So those press releases that you see on our website used to come to the press room and we would get them in the mailbox and the reporters would then make stories out of them, but they weren't generally available to the public. So my dad decided that we needed a website. Let's put the press releases up. Um, when they first started, we would get all of the press releases in our mailbox. We would scan them in. We would post them. Now they come to us digitally. Um, we actually prefer when people post them on their own websites and then we can go and just link to their websites because then we're not paying the storage for it. Um, but we started the website and um, we started doing joint finance where we designed a specific website just for joint finance so people can follow the budget because the budget is so involved and it's so hard to follow different things and you have to kind of be in the room to get some of that information. So we started a separate website for that for subscribers um, and then shortly after my dad passed I started a bill tracking service so that we do, you can um, subscribe to our service and do real-time bill tracking. So the first question I'm always asked is how is this different from the legislative bill tracking system? Ours is real-time. The legislature has a delay in their up uploads. So ours is real-time. And in addition to what goes on in the legislature, we tag it to our website. So if you're following a bill, you get press releases and newspaper stories and podcasts and things like that about your bills. It's really kind of a neat way of doing it. And so the website is thewheelerreport.com. Correct. Thewheelerreport.com. So check that out if you have a chance. Uh, it's free, it's good looking, and uh, you can find out a lot of information. So we've established that we're both old. Yes. Right? So yeah, I remember stuffing press releases into those boxes, into the press room, when, back when it was in the basement for a while, when, yep. when I think uh, Governor Thompson tried to move the press more out of the Capitol yes. and put them in the basement. Um, so it's a lot different now. What, what do you think politics in general and the atmosphere of politics in the Capitol, has, how has that changed over the last you know, 20 years or so? Um, in some ways, I think it has changed. In other ways, I think people think it has changed. <laughs> um, you know, I think that the creation of the 24-7 news cycle has changed how people interact with everything, whether it's how they interact with sports or how they interact with politics. They want the information and they're always looking for more information. The addition of the internet has allowed the media to give more information out than what they used to. You know, for example, we would get 20 press releases in a day and before we had the website we were the only ones who saw that. Now everyone out there sees those press releases. Um, and with social media it has just made it that much faster. Everybody believes everything is instantaneous. 
Um, the number of things that go out on Twitter, especially breaking news, goes out on Twitter far before anybody else sees it anywhere else. And if you're still a person who is getting all of your information through a typical newspaper, which is fabulous, you should still get your typical newspaper, but if you're a person getting that information, you're a good 24 hours behind everybody else in the news world. And it, that has changed a lot, just the fact that everybody wants the information out there quickly and everybody's going to places to find more information. Um, people have less of an ability to just lock up information and only let it go out to um, specific people. Um, in terms of politics itself, you know, I have always said that there is a process. You know, a bill has to be introduced, a bill has to go to a committee, it has to be heard publicly in that committee, it has to be, they have to vote on it in committee, it has to go to the floor, it has to pass both houses, it has to go to the governor. That part doesn't change, it never changes. I mean, there might be little tweaks here or there where the Senate says, well, if it had a hearing in the assembly, we're just gonna take that as the hearing in the Senate and we're not gonna hear the same bill in both houses. But the process doesn't change. I mean, if you think we both had Schoolhouse Rocks, you know, I'm just a bill, I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. It still has to go through that process. And that process doesn't change. A lot of people would like to think that things are so much different than they were before. I think that is the political part of it. That is the campaigning and the elections and that part of it has changed some um, just from where it was when I started. Mm -hmm. So the irony, <clears throat> excuse me, the irony is that with, with all of the need and the ability to get news out faster and more often, the media coverage of the Capitol is a little <laughs> bit different than it used to be. Can you talk about that a little? It is. Um, when I started in the press room, and I remember going into the press room as a kid, but when I first started in the press room... Was it ever smoky back oh, then? Oh, the time! Yeah, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I actually have a picture of my dad smoking his pipe out in the portico in front of the press room. I'll be darned. Yeah, um, okay. But yeah, they, I mean, they all had different typewriters and everything, but the AP had three or four reporters in there, and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was two different papers. It was the Milwaukee Sentinel and the Journal, and um, each of those had at least two reporters, and the Cap Times had two to three reporters, and the State Journal had two reporters, and um, Stan Milam's service had a reporter in there, and we had two reporters, and there were so um the Appleton Post-Crescent, the Green Bay Press-Gazette had their own reporters. There were so many reporters and everybody was working on different things. You know, if you put all of the newspapers together over that time period on one given day, you would get 10 to 12 different stories, 10 to 12 different things that were taken care of. And now they're down to seven or eight reporters working in that room and in general, they're all covering the exact same thing. They're all working on the same story. You, you're not getting a different niche. You know, the Capital Times used to be a big state government employees newspaper that they got information on Wisconsin retirement and employee trust funds and those kinds of things. And today the Cap Times is covering the same stories that the AP and the State Journal is. So I think there's fewer reporters and I think they're so focused on specific issues that you're not getting that same broad range of information that you used to. Has this kind of coincided with the upswing of Twitter in particular? Or it, 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 as I think about it, you know, you think about how as Twitter be has become more and more pervasive and right. unavoidable, 
And a lot of the reporting actually gets done on Twitter now. So you still right. have newspaper reporters that will use Twitter a lot, and I find them you know, very useful and helpful. Um, but at the same time, their bread and butter is being able to have advertising in the, the, the old dead tree stuff that gets sent out or now trying yeah. to get on the digital ads. Right. Um, it, but it seems like there's almost kind of a correlation there, whereas the online stuff, especially outside of even any kind of media, has increased there's been that decrease in the in the real quote unquote media. Do you think you know, that's true or is it my missing something there? Um, no, I think there are times when they're so short staffed with media covering events that reporters will go to something and they'll tweet about it and that's all the coverage that they get. That they that you know, they're just there's so many hours in a day, they can only write so many stories in a day that if there's five things going on, they're gonna go to a couple of events, they're gonna tweet about it, and that's all the media coverage that it's going to get. So yeah, I would agree that there's a decrease. As social media increases, less stories get written and more of it's going towards Twitter. Hmm, interesting. All right, so on health in particular, um, we saw a lot of of um, discussion about different health issues heading into the November campaigns. We certainly saw it in the campaign ads. You see it in the stories that are being written. We're still seeing about it. We're, st we're still talking about it now with the just past lame duck session, uh, with some of the Medicaid waiver issues that we weighed in on. Um, what, what did you see as some of the big health issues um, leading up to the November elections, and kind of what we're seeing in this period heading into the next session? Um, I think the first and foremost one is pre-existing conditions. You know, that's really an issue that everybody deals with. Um, whether you're somebody like myself that's a small business owner and you're buying your own health insurance, or you're somebody who's going to a new employer and their health insurance is picking you up, um, whether you're going to the market, I mean, everybody's got health issues at some point. And there, with some people, there is a fear that um, they never had health insurance before, then um, the ACA came along and they suddenly got health insurance and they started going to the doctor and found out what was wrong with them. And now the fact that those things are diagnosed for them, it's a pre-existing condition if things change. So they're kind of feeling like they got trapped in the, well, you made me get health care, I got health care, and now everything that you told me is a pre-existing condition for future health care. Um, and I think people are very afraid of what's going to happen with pre-existing conditions. You know, um, Senator Ron, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson just came out and said, Obamacare is going to be hard to change because pre-existing conditions is a huge issue. And so that's one issue that everybody's looking at. Now, the legislature tried, did not pass, um, to do something with pre-existing conditions, whether everyone agreed with it or not, they were trying to do something. Um, and when I spoke to Speaker Voss recently, he said it's going to be at the top of their agenda when they come back in session in January. Pre-existing conditions is something that they want to address. So it's out there. <laughs> well, it's certainly one of the one of the issues that has pulled the most and has yes. the most resonance among folks. So I think you're right because these people just just feel it. Uh, in your estimation, uh, how how deep do you think the knowledge is among the media and the legislators when it comes to health care? Uh, you know, that's funny that you should ask because, <laughs> because it's hard to understand what they know about health care versus what they know about health insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you're somebody who's having your health insurance provided to you through your employer or through your company or through being a legislator and you get it through the state, you understand that your health care means you get a card, here's who you can go see, you know, most everything is paid for, you have a few deductibles. So your health care is really you looking at your health care. Um, for 
people like myself who are private people buying their own insurance through the private market, our health care is dependent on what kind of health insurance do I get? You know, what can I afford? Do I have to have an HSA? What am I going to do? What level of um, health exposure am I willing to take before I go to the doctor or before I change my health insurance? And I think that there is a question of whether they understand the difference between health insurance and health care. And I think people who have their health insurance taken care of for them pay more attention to their health care. Hmm. <laughs> so is, so is that, is that a... Um is that worrisome? <laughs> Should we all be worried about what's going to be happening here? I don't know. Um, I think the question is, what do they want to do? Um, what can they collaborate to do? Because it's no longer complete Republican control. They can't just unilaterally do anything that they want. The governor does get to weigh in on this. And I think some of the members are going to have to take a step back and say, you know, I, I don't want Obamacare anymore, or I don't want the ACA anymore but clearly we have to do something. And they're going to start trying to work towards what is that something. I think both sides know that they're in trouble if they don't address healthcare. Well, that transitions well to uh, probably the next topic, which is now we're looking at what you mentioned, that split government. You have a, a Democratic governor, you have a Republican-controlled legislature, and the first important bill out of the gate in any biennium is the biennial budget. Right. And so we're going to have uh, then Governor Evers announce his budget probably in February. Is that what we're thinking, or what do you um, hear? You know, so technically by statutes it's due at the end of January, but every governor asks for an extension. And depending on where they are in their administration, they can ask for an extension through February, or they can ask for an extension through the 1st of March. Um, usually when they're coming in with their new administration, that's later in February, earlier in March. So I would expect like the last week of February or the first week of March is when we're gonna see Governor-elect Evers presenting his budget to the public. I mean, we're taping this um, on uh, Wednesday, the 19th of December, and just today was the first names being right. released by Governor-elect Evers on who his administration is going to be, and those are the people that are so important for how a state budget gets proposed and put together. So there's a lot of work they've got to do even to hit that February deadline. I exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, so then so then um, he'll have a budget. He'll give an address to the legislature and, and the assembly with, with the Republicans peering from behind, right, to be in the camera on Wisconsin Eye. Um, and then... What are we hearing that the, the, the um, or have we heard anything yet about what the Republicans plan to do with that Evers budget proposal? Right, so when the budget is taken up by the Joint Finance Committee, um, they have the option of saying, we're gonna work off of what the agency has had before, which is called working off of the base, or they have the ability to say, we're gonna work off of the governor's budget, and that's called working off of the bill. So there's two different ways that they can do it. Um, and you know, in the 20 plus years that I've been here, it has been all over the board. Um, when, the, when Governor Walker was in and the Republicans were complete control, joint finance always took the governor's budget and worked off of the governor's budget. Um, in previous sessions when there were split legislators or split control between the legislature and the governor's office, some agencies they would take by base and some agencies they would take from the bill. Um, 
And then, you know, we had the years, I'm sure you remember, where the governor would introduce a budget, it would go to joint finance, some things would be done by base, some things would be done by bill, joint finance would kick out a final proposal, and then it would go to one house or the other house, and then they would do an amendment to change the budget to be their budget, they'd pass it to the other house, they would take an amendment to change it to their budget, and by the time we were done, we'd been through six or seven different budgets, mm -hmm. and then we'd end up in a conference committee. <laughs> Um, so there are so many different ways that they can do it. Um, both Fitzgerald and Voss have told me they plan it specifically to work off the base. Um, the question is, will they make their own proposals that they bring forward before the budget or before joint finance, or will they take base completely during joint finance, pass a joint finance bill, and then change it in each of their houses? Mm -hmm. And that's just something that we're going to have to see. You know, kind of like how you mentioned the the, um, the internal dynamics of, you know, some people think that there's all this hoopla. You know, in the end, if they go off budget or they go off base, does it, does it really necessarily matter in the end? Because the two sides are going to have to, the, the, the executive branch and the legislative branch are going to have to negotiate at some point, right? Right. I mean, so. The biggest thing about going off the base versus going off the bill, and this is one of those statistical things that no one ever knows, is in joint finance, if you go off of the base, it takes at least nine votes to add something to the budget. Whereas if you start with the governor's budget, it takes nine votes to take something out of the budget. So it's a question of where are your nine votes? And while Republicans still control both houses, they still have more than a majority on that committee. So getting nine votes to put something in or to take something out is not a problem. So for they, them. Have, they have 12 out of the 16. Correct. Right. And so that's where base versus, versus bill mattered a lot when the legislature was split control themselves. So right. you'd have eight eight Democrats and eight Republicans and that's when you would need the nine. And right. so yeah. Boy, you see this is why this is why the Wheeler Report <laughs> is so important for those of us that follow these kinds of things. Um, so so the budget's supposed to be done by uh, July first. Correct. correct. So June thirtieth technically. So, so all right, June thirtieth. What do you think um, is the what percentage chance would you levy, levy right now that it's going to be in effect by July 1st? Um, I would say there's a, probably a 90% chance we will not have a budget by July 1st, just given the fact that we're going to be starting late yeah. because it's a new administration coming in. And then you have the dynamics between the Senate and the Assembly. I mean, as much as people say the Republicans are going to be, it's going to be the Republicans versus um, Evers, there's just as much conflict between the Senate and the Assembly. And the reason we didn't have a budget until October last year was because the Senate and the Assembly couldn't come to the same page. So I don't think we have a budget in July. <laughs> and we're in the middle of, a, of the debate about the federal budget and how right. um, I, you know they're, they're trying to extend until February to try to avoid a shutdown. We don't have shutdowns in Wisconsin. No. Um, Wisconsin continues to spend money at the same level in the budget prior until a new budget. Um, so the only thing that's actually really affected um, going further and further into the fall are the school aides. So mm -hmm. if they don't do something by October, the school aid payments go out late and then the schools are hurting for money. And that's usually the latest that it goes out, um, that the budget gets passed, and that's when you have the most problems. Once you start getting into November or December, then you start having shared revenue and tax issues and those kinds of things. But it rarely ever goes. I, I mean, I've been through... Again, I've been here for 20 some <laughs> 20 plus years and you know the the latest I have seen was the Octo was it October or we just signed it in November 
it was 99 was one of the later years yeah. that we had and we were here forever yeah <laughs> made for a fun summer right as someone who was pregnant at the time it made for a very <laughs> fun summer <laughs> All right, so so on the health issue side, I mean, obviously Medicaid expansion is probably going to be the one big touchstone. Yes. Where we would assume that Governor Evers will put that in his budget. He campaigned on that. He pretty much promised uh, that he would work on that, and so we would likely see that. Um, it seems like the Republicans aren't that big of a fan of Medicaid expansion, and even nope. with Governor Walker no longer there, they probably will. That will be a point where they're probably on the other side. I assume. Right. Um, any other health care issues that you think are going to be big? Um, um, I think you're going to see more. Um, more legislation on how opioid treatment gets done, whether that's included insurance, whether they change how it's done. Um, I think there's going to be more discussions about mental health issues going forward. Um, I know that I've spoken with two legislators who have said dental access is going to be a big thing, which is less you and more the dental association. But um, So I think opioid treatment and how all of that is done, mental health um, there's a shortage of psychologists. In psychiatrists. This, psychiatrists. Yes. I always get those backwards. There's a shortage of them in the states, and the counties are really hurting for that. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a question of how do we deal with some of these shortage issues with doctors throughout Wisconsin. And, and workforce is just, it, that's kind of a nonpartisan issue in a way, right. which is interesting. Healthcare right. kind of has this interesting niche where it's either bipartisan or nonpartisan in a way until you start getting at some of the funky stuff like insurance mandates yep. or... Or you know, do we criminalize drug use? Or we try to treat drug use? We try to do both. Right. And yeah. one of the things that was brought up to me last year, you know, I know a little bit about telemedicine, but I don't mm -hmm. know a lot about telemedicine, is the reimbursements for telemedicine. So they're reimbursing for telemedicine from a hospital to a clinic, but not from a hospital to a house. So some of those seniors who are, you know, are having a hard time getting to clinics and things like that, and you know, it's not as much the doctors because they're willing to do the telemedicine. It's how is it um, funded or paid for by insurance? Well, it comes down to money, doesn't it? It always comes down to money. Always comes down to money. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you have the, this this uh, this interest in healthcare um, is kind of multi generational for you it because is. you of of your two daughters. Yes. One of them is getting into the healthcare role. She is. Um, my daughter is a sophomore. Just finished her second her first semester of her sophomore year. Um, she is pre med. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Dr. Peterson from Milwaukee County because um, she showed interest in so many things and medical field was one thing that she showed interest in and we contacted Dr. Peterson, he's the medical examiner for Milwaukee County when my daughter was in high school and I said, can she come? You know, like, do medical examiners let high school students come? And he let her job shadow and, I mean, he was fabulous. He's, he's a great man if you ever have the chance to meet Dr. Um, Peterson, but he really took her under her wing and showed her and that was it. She was pre-med and she has not wavered since. Um, I wish she was in Wisconsin, but I do have to say she's at University of Minnesota in Rochester and Mayo is a fabulous program for those students to get involved with the doctors there. And um, yeah, she has started pulling information for medical schools. I'm pulling for MCOW or UW-Madison. <laughs> we appreciate that. Because <laughs> I'd hate to see her go further than that. Um, but yeah, and it's it's fun when your kids are growing up and you get to share things with them. Um, I actually went to school. I have a chemistry degree from UW-Stevens Point, and I was working as an EMT, and it was my intention to go to medical school. Or, you know, I was looking back and forth between medical school and a PA program, and my dad said, well, why don't you come work for me for a year or two and um, save money for school and decide what you want to do, and I'm still here. <laughs> so 
uh, you know, I'm passing the baton off to my daughter, and I look forward to seeing where she's going to go in the medical field. Has your perspective on healthcare changed at all as she has gotten more involved? Um, Are you aware of things now more that you used to be, or anything surprising, or has it been you kind know, of that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, one of the things that I really love about UMR, where she's at school, is the school is only a healthcare school. They don't offer degrees in other things. So the things that they talk about in their classes are all medical related. And I think it, it leans towards interesting conversations that you wouldn't know about. Um, in her sociology class, she came home, or she sent me a message and said in their sociology class, they were talking about how bad the opioid epidemic is. And they were challenged to say, can you think of any outcomes from the opioid epidemic that could help other people? Are there things that are coming out of this? And the students were all kind of stumped. And the professor said, the amount of young people who are getting transplants because of people who are dying from opioids has gone up. And so while it's tragic that these people are overdosing, their organs are being donated and other people are getting their organs. And I thought, that's not something I think I would have gotten yeah. in my general sociology classes in college. Wow. So, yeah, it's amazing just how some of those things evolve in the classroom. Another benefit of being old, right? Right. We get to learn from our kids. <laughs> yes. All right. Why don't you tell us one more time how folks can uh, see your product and, and where you are on Twitter and things like that. Um, so www.thewheelerreport.com is our website. Um, we have a Facebook account, The Wheeler Report. We have a Twitter account at Wheeler Reports Incorporated. And I have a personal Twitter account at Gwen Gunther. I use that to live tweet um, press conferences and things in the Capitol. And if people start following you or, or whatever, they're not going to like get get solicitations for you to no. subscribe. <laughs> I've never seen that happen, so just no. don't be afraid. Follow the information. I assume if your listeners want to subscribe, they're probably your doctors and they're just going to send you an email. <laughs> <laughs> or probably call me is what's going to happen. All right. Well, Gwen, thanks very much. Really appreciate you taking the time to come by and shed a little light on what goes on in that building. Well, thank you for asking me. You bet. That'll wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. If you liked what you heard, visit our website, www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org, and look for future episodes wherever you get your, your podcasts. If you have suggestions or feedback, send an email to communications at wismed.org. Thanks for listening.